You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on? Berto here. And Berto, we're back with another episode. Uh, go ahead, take her away right away and let us know what we're talking about today. All right, so today is like a, uh, I guess it's kind of a reflection, you know, and maybe even a look into kind of kind of the origin of how, you know, guys in the street, I'm not just going to say Latin Kings, because I, I think it's applicable to just gang life or, or street life, if even if you're not a gang member, and, and just look into how that kind of lifestyle can create desperation. And depending on, I guess, depending on your own, your own ability to stomach the street and live in the street is going to depend on how bad your times get with desperation. And I say that because I have a lot of experience with it. You know, this is a, it's a subject where it can create some shame and embarrassment. And I feel like a lot of people dodge it because of those reasons. Um, It's humbling to be able to talk about coming from nothing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, people that are born and raised in poverty, you know, like I was, but it's, 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 it also shows humility when you can talk about going through it, you know, when you were supposed to be this big, bad guy in the street, you know, I think I've made it, made it evidently clear that I was never a drug dealer. I'll say it a million times, you know, there was a means to an end to it. And, and, um, my chapter and, and I believe most chapters of Latin Kings, we didn't put a high value on currency. We just didn't. We didn't uh we valued relationships more. And you know, I don't know how other gangs work. I don't know how, you know, other friendships work, but I just know how that's what how that's how it was with us. And and that was, you know, it was risky and it was to our detriment at times. Um specifically within myself. You know, like I said, when I first um, started hanging around Latin Kings, I was basically homeless. I mean, by choice, don't get me wrong. It was by choice, but essentially I was homeless. You know, I had a friend that I was staying by his house and, you know, I stayed there obviously because of the freedom to be able to do whatever I wanted to, you know, at 13 years old, obviously that wasn't what was best for me, but, you know, it, it was something that I did because I wanted to live that lifestyle. Then when I moved in with Chico, same thing. I mean, essentially I'm homeless, man. Uh, they took me in. And so, you know, these, these things are like overlooked, you know, they, I feel like they might be looked at as, Oh, you know, just a, a young kid who, you know, ended up living in a household with another family. Yeah. That's, that's what it, that's, that's verbatim what it is, but, but you got to look at it as a whole. You know, I was a runaway kid with a broken home and I allowed myself to fall in love with this ideal. And so it caused a lot of trauma and I caused a lot of trauma within myself. And I, I bring this up, man, because I feel like there was a lot of times and there was a lot of nights where I've had those desperate feelings where I had nothing. I had no money. I'm wearing somebody else's clothes but you hide those, you suppress those feelings and, and you do it out of, you know, because your pride tells you to, um, you do it because as a young man, you're not supposed to show weakness, you know? And, and so, you know, I think it's important because people get the idea that a lot of kids, a lot of misguided youth, they just want to go and commit crime when it comes to like robberies and, you know, theft and strong arm robberies, home invasions, anything that involves money, you know, people just think, oh, they're greedy or they want what everybody else has. And, you know, that's true to some extent, but I also believe that some of it is just out of desperation, man. Some of it is just pure survival mode and not to say that they get a pass or I should get a pass, but I think it's important to shed light on reasons. I believe that's what our conversations are about, creating conversations and and giving perspective on why certain things happen at certain times and why, you know, 
a troubled youth might go this route or that route. And, and I can speak from myself that being poor, being broke, right? Everybody wants to say, oh, I'm broke, but I mean, you're really poor, right? Like I walked around, I can't, I, I, I definitely walked around with no money in my pocket a lot more than I ever walked around with money in my pocket. So, you know, so I, I mean, I believe that's, and I never had, you know, money set away for a rainy day. So I believe that's, it's the epitome of poverty, you know? So yeah, I, I think that like with myself, man, that, that drove me at times to commit different kind of crimes. It drove me to want to have money. I'm just curious. So you talk about how <clears throat> you came from that broken family and so inevitably you ran away. Did, do you think, was it the motivation to be in a gang that led you to run away? Or do do you think the gang became your survival mode once you decided that it was time to run away from your broken family? Yeah. So I believe that both of those truths can be true because they were in my situation. Um, I don't believe I left and ran away because I was motivated to be in the gang, but I was motivated to be rebellious. I mean, at 13, I was motivated to want to make my own decisions. And when anarchy is around you, you know, you want to be a part of it. And then once I was in the gang, now it's, it's, it's more of a, you know, it goes with the territory. It's not like it's some, something that's far off. It's, it's more commonplace, you know, once you're in there, you're in there, you know? So yeah, I think both of those are truths. So, so if I'm gathering what you're saying is you would say that the motivation to directly be in a gang had nothing to do with you running away, but you ran away and it was kind of like the gang was what you found as right. your survival thing, I guess would be a way of saying it right. to, to having ran away. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Cause when I ran away, you know, you got to remember, right? Like I, I come from a long line of runawayers, so to speak. Right. So I'm the youngest of five boys and, mm -hmm. um, you know, my oldest brother, uh, he's 10 years older than me. He ran away when I was about five years old. Um, the only difference with him is that he had um, grandparents who lived in the, in the UP. And so he ran away permanently. Um, so my, my three oldest brothers, right. So I have, like I said, I, I'm the youngest of, of five. So my three oldest brothers, uh, my brother, John and my brother, Ronnie and my brother, Joe, they're from different fathers. Uh, my brother, Tim, me and him, I'm the same mother and father. Um, so when, when John ran away, he had his father's side of the family to go to. Right. And so that was, that was him. Ronnie was in and out as a teenager. Um, he would come stay with us and then he had his own father. He would go stay with him. And it was kind of a back and forth thing. He ended up becoming a Latin King and he ended up committing a murder and went to prison in 97. And then my brother, Joe was a soldier. He stuck it out with us all the way through, you know, that's it. And, and Joe was with us, you know, all the way. Yeah. He had a father, but his father was, didn't care about him. Um, so my father was his father and, and, um, yeah, so I, I bring all that up is because everybody ran away at some point, you know, and, and I mean, let's be honest here, right? Like I love my dad, but you know, I come from an abusive and dysfunctional household, you know? So, you know, I think the only way to lead into conversations like this is to lead with truth, right? So you know, that's my reality. My reality was that I did live in an abusive household. Um, I can't always say that the abuse, I can't say that the abuse was directed at me. Um, the majority of the time I was the baby. And then my brother, um, obviously were both his blood sons, my father. Um, so, you know, I feel like my brother's got the worst of it. My older brother's got the worst of it. And obviously, you know, my mom. And, and so that was kind of my dynamic, man. And, and it's unfortunate. It's still hard to talk about. Um, but yeah, so everybody and all my brothers at some point ran away. Um, so, you know, seeing that as a kid, it kind of made me not want to emulate it, but it, it made me see that it was possible. Now, I didn't mm -hmm. know that on the, on the other side of that is survival mode, right? Like we just talked about, you know, I kind of just thought, you know, when guys run away, they have somewhere to go. I didn't, I was too young to really grasp that 
yeah, you can run away, but then you got to have somewhere to go to run away to, um, to sustain your, your runawayness, Right. So, um, yeah, so, um, that's, that's kind of when, when I ran away, it was more of the thought that I, I thought I could. And then, you know, my brother had already ran away and, and, you know, obviously I had, I was in constant communication with Tim and, you know, he, he was hanging out and partying and, and then, I kind of got a taste of that with with my friend Ernest, which was the first place I ran into, ran away and 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 lived at when I met the Wild Walkers and and so that that was my motivation, you know that that was that was my motivation. I, I didn't, I never even thought about a gang to be honest with you at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, so that's the desperation part. That that that's what leads you into desperation to me in my mind is when you have nothing and and you and and you're you're you know, you, you got this empty feeling, you know, I I can't remember, man, like there's, there's no worse feeling than, you know, the sun going down and regardless of where you're you're, you're going to be sleeping. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and, um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a sad reality, man. But, but it, it happened all too often, you know, everybody's kind of like, all right, I'm gonna go home. All right, I'm gonna go home. All right, I'm gonna go home. And you're kind of like, well, all right. Hey, you mind if I stay by your house or, you know what I mean? And and it's not looked at like it's a crazy bad thing at in the moment, right? Like it's just, oh yeah, well, let me ask my mom or whatever. You know, it's just kind of, it's taken lightheartedly. But if you look at it and, and you really feel it in your, in your soul, so to speak, man, like I can, I can remember that emptiness, you know, and uh, they didn't know that. And, and that goes along with even just the same thing as like, you know, your next meal. And these are all things that I probably, I, I mean, I more than likely could have avoided, you know, I could have went home and dealt with the dysfunction. I could have dealt with whatever was going on and survived. Cause you know, as, as bad as things were at points in, in my life, in my household, they were also really, really good times. You know, my father, like I said, man, he was a strong man of morals. He taught me a lot, you know, and we always had what we needed, you know, uh, might not always have what we wanted, but we always had what we needed. And, um, I probably could have ended that, but you know, I was committed. I was committed to doing what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, man, I lived in that. And, um, as I got older and time went along and, and, um, you know, I was living this, this facade of being like an adult, you know, as a, as a, as a teenager, you start to realize that you have to take on responsibility, not only for yourself, but you know, I had my first son when I was 15. And so, you know, there was things that needed to be taken care of that I had to do. And that created desperation. On the surface, you always have to be even keel, but inside it's like panic mode. Mm-hmm. And so I I did desperate things that obviously they are a direct correlation to me needing something, um, not just for fun, not just to go and and hang out and and party it was more about okay can i help with my child or can i help provide a meal for myself or you know my kid's mom at the time or 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 my brother or whoever it was that i was directly associated with it started to become a pride thing and then and then i think too you know like i said i came up the ranks in the gang at a very young age and there's this stigma for some reason that people have this idea that if you're a gang leader or a part of, or you have some type of rank that you have money that is not true you know that's <laughs> that's not a real thing you have to go and earn your own money so with all these things man i you start to feel these different pressures and and it creates well i wasn't going to get a job you know selling drugs was not really i didn't really have the knack for it you know i wasn't standing on the corner and i wasn't I didn't have no dope house to post up in. So naturally you start to resort to other things, right? And well, what's the best thing to do if you ain't got money, but you got guns is you go rob somebody, mm-hmm. you go take somebody else's money. And, um, you know, I got, you know, I got instances that I had to do that. Right. It was like, i in my mind, I had to do it. Obviously now looking back, I didn't have to do it. Right. But in my mind at that time, that was survival mode. Um, and so, you know, I remember, so I had a, I had a sticky situation one time and this was, this is kind of, it's an all over the place kind of story as far as it, it's not, it's not directly correlated to me 
not having a place to stay and not eating, but it's, it, it, it resembles desperation, you know, in, in somebody's life. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that story. Um, so there was a time, man, where we were, we were like, there was like periods where we would be in and out of consistent communication with Chicago, right? There was just periods like that, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. the Inca we had got locked up and we had to wait to reestablish contact or whatever the case may be. And I remember at this time that I'm talking about, we had like established some good, like we had, obviously we had contact, we had constant communication so much so that they were even, um, they even, uh, they gave us some drugs, right. To sell to, to obviously to make a profit, but also to make them money. Right. And mm-hmm. and that takes a lot because they don't really know us personally on a personal level. They know of us, but you know, when you go down there and you meet 300 Kings, like they don't know King Berto, they just know I'm a Latin King from Milwaukee. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not like we have personal relationships with you guys, but so I remember at this time we had some, we had like some, some weed, I believe from them. And we even had a little bit of cocaine. And this is the crazy part. I didn't even think about this uh, um, uh, yesterday, right? When I was explaining, or not yesterday, last week, when I was explaining the story about Gucci. But when Gucci, I don't know, you remember last week, when Gucci yeah. went out to check about the shooting, right? The When he got caught with the weed and the cocaine in his pocket, that was actually Chicago's. That, that was actually, that wasn't even, that wasn't even his. It wasn't even mine. It wasn't even ours. We were selling it. Obviously, it was for us, but it was, you know, on behalf of them. So we were going to have to give them their kickback back, right? So, but anyways, this was around that time, not directly that time. We took care of that moment, but but later on. And so I remember we ended up, I ended up, not we, I ended up being short some money that I owed them. It was just from, you know, just being negligent with it, you know, just spending the money and kind of living. It wasn't like I was... I just felt like I was selling, you know, enough to sustain paying them and, and continuing living how I wanted to live. And, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't know the drug game. I didn't know you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't spend your re-up money. Right. I didn't know that part. So, so I did that and I kind of got in panic mode because now I owe Chicago money. And so I'm like, damn, like I got to really take care of this because they're going to be, you know, asking they're not for gonna it. be happy. Huh? <laughs> right. They're going to be asking yeah. for it. And so I remember, man, um, it was me and Payne. We were actually by Payne's house. And uh, me and him were like devising, like, what do we want to do? How we want to get this money? He was our enforcer and I was a Kasinka. And so I'm like, yo, I'm telling, explaining to him, like, yo, we got to get this money. And he's like, yeah. And it wasn't much. It was like a few hundred dollars, you know, but still, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, a lot of money to somebody else you know, is, is, or a lot of money to me, probably isn't a lot of money to somebody else. But at the time, you know, at this time, right. I'm like, you know, I can't just pull money out of anywhere. I don't have a job. I don't. So I'm explaining to him, listen, man, we got to get this money. And then two wild walkers came over. Uh, Nito, Nito came over who I knew from when I was wild walker, Juanito. And then, and then Revy, Revy ended up being wild walker after I left, but I knew him really well, had a really good relationship with him so much. So you know, that he even um, was going to end up, he, he wanted to be 19th Street. And there was some some politics that went behind that. That's another story for another day. But so they came over. And so we're devising this plan and they walk into it and they're like, well, what's up? You know, what do you guys, you know, and, you know, we were close enough to where we didn't mind having the conversation in front of them. Like I trusted Juanito, you know, I was cool with him from for, you know, for a long time. And then Revy was like, all go, you know, he on at any time of day, all go. He was with whatever. So mm-hmm. I remember sitting there and I was like, bro, why don't we just rob a bar? It's like, why don't we just rob a bar? Like there's going to be money sitting at the, obviously at the bar and then behind the bar. So it's like two for one. That was my, that was my thought process. And they agreed. Nobody put up any resistance. So like, all right, let's do it. So um, I remember driving, we were driving around, we we're driving around and we didn't want to get anything like on the like near, near South side, like, you know, Greenfield, even all the way to Lincoln. We wanted to go more South, you know, cause we felt like it'd be a little bit more upscale, probably get a little bit more money. Um, yeah, it was riskier because you, you know, obviously cops are going to protect those neighborhoods a little more, but mm-hmm. we felt like it was worth the risk. And I, and I never forget, I had a, uh, <laughs> well, boy, I think about some of these stories and I just think about how, how, <laughs> 
how stupid we were as as <laughs> as these gang members. I had a uh, it was called a parabellum the 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 kind of firearm it was, and the only reason I know that is because we had to look it up because we didn't know what it was. And basically, it looked like a, an assault rifle, some version of an assault rifle, but it was actually a nine millimeter. And the handle actually had where you you like slide in a clip. We must have got this this same this gun from the the same dealer that sold Wolf his gun because this gun also did not have a clip, right? So, but it looked really cool. It looked like plastic. It had a beam on it, right? So you could turn the beam on, and that would scare the shit out of people, right? So. I was like, all right, I'll take that gun then. You know what I mean? We didn't, I didn't even put a bullet in the chamber. So I didn't even have no ammunition in this gun. Uh, but mm-hmm. we did have a backup gun. We had a, we had a 45, uh, a llama. The plan was, you know, Juanito was going to be the getaway driver. You know, me and, me and, and Revy were going to have the guns and Payne was going to, you know, clean up. Right. The plan actually kind of, it went, it kind of went accordingly. Right. So, once again, we we didn't have the best, uh, I guess, robbery apparel, right? So, what we did is we we just we basically tied shirts around our head, and to make it look like we were ninjas. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even lying, man. And um, and if I if I'm remembering it right, I, I swear I don't even think Payne had a mask on. Like me and Revy went in there with with the ninja look. <laughs> we're so stupid. And, but I think I, I'm pretty sure Payne didn't have a mask on. I don't know why he didn't have a mask. On. I think he thought he was too cool to, to, <laughs> that it wouldn't to, look as cool if he had a mask on. So yeah, either that or he was he didn't want to look as foolish as we did with the shirts tied around our head. But I mean, they didn't see our faces, so whatever. But so I remember, man, they had like two doors. They had a side door and then a front door, and we 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 went through the front door, and you know immediately I got the beam on. I put the beam on. We're like, you know, just your basic. Uh, uh, you know, your basic stick up speech, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, put your hands up, put them on the, on the bar. And, you know, once, once Payne went and got the money from the cash register, we kind of like took a second was like, all right, just keep your hands on there. And whatever money was like on the bar we took, we didn't like make anybody go into their pockets or anything like that. But if there was like money on the bar, we grabbed it and just put it in the bag and we, we took off. It, you know, it's funny. I mean, we risked our life. We risked our life like as far as, you know, because I mean, something like that is you're going to prison for a long time. But I think we risked it. I think we got like 340 bucks or something, you know, some stu- 350, some stupid like that. Right. And there's four of us. Right. So it's actually that's a lot more than I thought you would have gotten. <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, it was I can't remember if it was a Friday night or maybe it was like a, a, a special night or some busy night. But but yeah, I mean, to split four ways, it wasn't great. Right. But mm-hmm. me and Payne essentially put our money together to to pay back what we owed. I don't even think we had the full amount, but but we made it close enough and ended up getting the rest. But but yeah, so I mean that just goes to show, man, like you get put in certain situations and you get desperate. You know, you get these these you get these feelings, man, because not every day is a party. You know, not every day are you drinking and 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 hanging out and 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 when those days aren't happening, you're kinda in reality mode. You know, you're you realize how much you don't have and you realize like, man, this is, this is, this is a lifestyle. Definitely not for the faint of heart, but, but just, just, it's, it's almost, it's almost torture if you're not doing the the fun things because, you know, it, it's really, you live in a shell, man, you know, cause we got so many rivals. It's not like we can go anywhere without having to shoot at somebody you know, you get to a point where we can't even afford to pay for bullets at times, you know, because, you know, everybody's hurting in certain phases. You know, here's the funny part, right? I remember being the Kasinka and um, the Kasinka is, is, is a, you know, we talked about it. It's a, it's a well-respected position. Obviously it's a second in command. Right. And then, yeah. And, and, and so you, you kind of get away with a little bit, you get a little bit of leniency, right? And I remember I didn't even have due money one week. And as a Kasinka, I still had to take a violation just to show that I wasn't going to take any favoritism, you know? But just, you know, little things like that, man. Like, I couldn't even come up with $20. And so, wow. you know, those are like, those are like 
they're not even humbling, man. They're like, they're sickening, you know, um, uh, feelings. And, you know, I don't know if anybody can relate to that. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously some people can relate to that, but I'm saying, I don't know if anybody can relate to how, um, I felt, you know, people can relate to the desperation, but like, I just remember them, you know, just that emptiness feeling, man. And, and yeah, it probably should have been a sign there, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely didn't take it. So I'm curious. Um, so when you reflect back on these times, like, I bet you, when you did this robbery, this bar robbery, you walked away with 300 bucks. You guys were probably pretty ecstatic at that. Is that correct? Would you say? Well, I mean, from like, a, you, from a monetary standpoint, I mean, we yeah. Really like, happy. were you like, Oh sweet. We got 300 bucks or. Uh, yeah. And no, I mean, we knew that we were doing it just to pay off a of debt, you know? Um, but I mean, the take you got from doing that, you were probably pretty happy with. Cause yeah, I assume yeah. at, at 15 years old, you come across 300 bucks you're like, damn, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, it, but was, then, it was, it was, it was, we were definitely happy about it. But you must look at it now and just be like, oh my God, the risk I took in doing that. Right. And for 300 bucks, it just, it's got to seem stupid, right? <laughs> right. Right. No, for sure. With, for sure. Which it's I like, just find uh, amazing. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you, that's why I was talking about the risk, right? The, the, the risk analysis, and this is a, this is a, I mean, obviously this is a wormhole we went down before when we were just talking about juveniles and, and the, the, the mentality and maturity and it, you can't really put any stock into the decision-making of somebody that young, man. Like you don't have a good grasp on what risk analysis is, right? Like you just, you're a fly by the seat of your pants down with anything and then if you're if you're not naturally like a fearful person, like you're naturally a, a daredevil then in so many respects. Right. So it, the things that you do, you know, as crazy as it sounds, man, a lot of people probably it might be controversial. But the things that you do are, are to me, it does, they shouldn't be a direct reflection of who you are as a person, you know, and who I was as a kid, because I did a lot of bad things in my life, man. I, I, I can, I can, you know, obviously accountability is key and, and I understand it, but I just, I never felt like I got away from being a good person at heart. If that makes sense. You know, I feel like, yeah, I made a lot of bad choices, but I also, I gave a lot of my love to the people who I thought, you know, I was supposed to love. And so, um, misguided a hundred percent. Yeah, it was totally misguided, but you felt like you had this family and you were doing the things that needed to be done to protect that family. But in, in the end, you found out that a lot of those people weren't going to protect you and, and all these things. And you were just doing a lot of really bad things to protect these people, things you should have never done, basically. Yeah. Things I should have never seen, you know, and just the lifestyle in general, right? Like it's, it's just a, uh, man, it's really, really hard to try to nail down like different feelings in different settings. And, and I think that that also is a testament to really how young I was, man, not being able to decipher, you know, different emotions and feelings and, 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 and obviously filter them in the correct way. And, and being misled and misguided and, and having this this false sense of pride and this false ego, not even knowing really what I'm believing in. Like I feel like that's just so it's it's such a common thread. And and I was thinking about this the other day. I actually spoke to my wife about it, man. It, you know, for every this is the crazy part that I think nobody ever talks about and we should talk about it more. And and I think there should be conversations obviously about about this. But for every young man, right, or kid that that are in these gangs, as crazy as it sounds, there's another young woman and young girl that is maybe not involved in the what in the life, but around the life. Like for us to be at all those parties as teenagers, there's also girls there, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what happened to them to push them to be even around guys like us? You know, yeah. and even be in those social settings like that. And I feel like that speaks to a bigger issue, right? Like it's it's more about it starts to bring 
and shed light to not necessarily us being gang members or or the women being in the street. It starts to shed light on, well, you know, what kind of foundation were we built? Did we build growing up? Right. What kind yeah. of what kind of exposure did we have? You know, and 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 I know a lot of people are you know, ashamed and, 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 um, they don't want to talk about some of the things that happened in their childhood. And I understand, I respect that. And I would never press any boundaries, but I would love to, to speak with, um, you know, even a professional or, or anybody, any, you know, have a woman on the show that has been through similar situations and was on the other side of those, of those house parties, you know, watching us. And, and I would like to get that perspective, you know, not just, not just them to us, but also, you know, kind of shine a light on what put them in that spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I totally agree with you because I, I think that, I mean, yeah, maybe they are not out doing the things that get the attention that a gang member does, but at the same time, they obviously went through a lot of the similar things that you went through that led them to being there. You know, right. and it would be really interesting to hear that side of it. Right. And, and, you know, let's just, I mean, I mean, the elephant in the room is that these urban areas are infested with childhood trauma, man. Like there's no other way to put it in, in, in boys and girls. It's just, it's, it's infestation of that. It's consistently a revolving door of that. It, it hasn't slowed down or stopped. And it's been like that, you know, and, and to even, to even give more validity to my my own experiences as a kid, my father was abused. You know, my father also ran away when he was 13 years old. See, nobody knows that part of the story. You know, everybody just assumes my dad was, you know, I, and maybe that's my fault, not not painting the correct narrative, but, but you know, people assume when somebody is abusive in a relationship, they kind of just are drunk or they're doing this, but they have their own trauma, you know, that mm-hmm. was never resolved. And, and, and they never were able to shake that. And so, yeah, man, like my father also came from, from, from dysfunction and violence and abuse. And so that cycle was never ended in, in, and I'm not just talking about in my family, I'm talking about across our country and, and probably in other countries, but these urban areas, they're, they're infested with it, man. And um, yeah, I just, I think that, man, it's, it's really, really it's really, really crazy to think about, especially with the women, right? Because men, the precursor is what? Prison or death, right? That's, that's, that's what you know is coming. I mean, you don't admit that to yourself. Like I never admitted that to myself, but those are the facts. Now for women, what is it, right? So for women, I think it's a, it's a gateway, these parties and these, and and all these social gatherings as a, as a, as an adolescent. And it's just a gateway to, to drugs you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to things like that, you know, um, I'm sure there's a lot of, I, I can't even guess, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's probably a lot of women that have grew up in, in, and been at some of the parties that, that we were at, and maybe they're in, you know, in the street as, as drug addicts or prostitutes or, or all of the above. And so it starts somewhere. And, and I just, I found it mind blowing the other day that I'm, I'm so, I'm so caught up with, with spreading this message to, to try to save one life, you know, one little boy. But, but the reality is that there's one little girl that's, that's also out there, you know, and, um, and, and, and even to be fair, there were, there were Queens, you know, not necessarily, they didn't have a big presence in Milwaukee. Um, and they obviously didn't have a big presence in in 19th street, but there was a queen on our indictment. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's in, in, it's, it's a sad thought. It's a sad thought, man, to, to think about me, like if I, if I think about, like if I had a daughter, you know, like it, it breaks my heart to even, like I have a niece who, you know, I love like a daughter. It breaks my heart to even think about that, to even, mm-hmm. to even begin to let it manifest in my mind about that. Right. So no, nah, man, I definitely, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm definitely sympathetic to it. And, and I do, I really believe that there needs to be, you know, more conversations about that, man. And, and, um, and, you know, it's probably our job to find, find somebody to to talk to about it. Yeah. 
Well, if we got a listener out there that wants to come on and tell their story, we'd love to have you. So normalizedcrime at gmail.com. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure there was, cause there, I know there was one queen on our indictment, but there was, there was other queens that were involved. So, I mean, if any of them, you know, listen to this, you know, even out of hatred, right. Or even, <laughs> even out of frustration, if any of them listen to it, you know, you can remain anonymous, just send in the email, give some perspective on, on maybe how, how your life took that turn, man. And, and, um, I think that's the beauty of, of this, this idea that basically makes it okay to talk, man. You know, it makes it okay to, to, to laugh, you know, about, about our shortcomings and all the things that, that, you know, um, we did. And it also, it also gives us the chance to be serious and, and to educate and and to also to be sympathetic to to people and their situations i think that's the beauty of this right i mean i think that's what i do it for is is it's this is a therapy for me man like i i never i never was able to to talk about the things that that i did or went through um because i was taught not to i feel like i'm a better man now that i can do that you know i feel mm-hmm. like I feel like being able to to share and being able to to reflect and being able to possibly steer somebody in the right direction makes all the pain that I went through worthwhile. Obviously when I was going through it I had a different purpose, but you know, that's that's kind of the way God works, man. You know, you, yeah, and it's you, like, you got to find, you know, everything happens for a reason and you're taking this dark time in your life and you're t- trying to turn it into a good thing which I think is a wonderful thing to have done. It was that a common thing. I guess I can ask you, um, you know, obviously like in your high school days, um, cause that would be probably similar to, to my, you know, very young adolescent days. Um, so in your high school days, like obviously I'm sure you guys had house parties and you had um, just different gatherings. Was there, I guess, I guess, could you look around the house party. And I mean, looking back now, obviously you couldn't do it at the time, but looking back now, could you look around the house party and tell like who maybe came from a broken area or, you know, kind of what path people were going on? Um, I don't know that. I, so we didn't have, I never, we never had like big, big parties that, that people I wasn't really close, close to were at, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So we didn't let, like, like when you think of like, I never went to a party and looked over and there was a guy I barely knew, you know? Okay. And if okay. there was somebody there, it was just because like a friend of a friend brought him or something. So like, right. it wasn't really like I would go into a room, but I can certainly look at the people I went to school with and I can, you know, every school had their little click and I can pick out the clicks in my head that, okay, okay. those you know, they weren't, they were coming from rougher families and things like that. Right. Right. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever, did you ever have a friend that kind of came from a broken family or a rough family? Do you know, I had, I had a friend that, that hung out with the people that came from broken families. But when I like, as I got to know him, I realized his family wasn't broken. Um, He was mostly brought into that world because he had like cousins and brothers and sisters and stuff that were all in that world. And he was kind of pulled into that world would be my take on him. Would would you say like from the outside, were you able to tell that, you know, cause like, like I, 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 I'm trying to think like, you know, with myself, like I never showed signs of, you know, like I said, man, you hide emotion. You don't, you don't, uh, you know, you don't show it openly. So I I guess I'm curious to know, like, you know, these other people that go through these traumas, because there's so many, um, was it, was it kind of common, I guess, for them to show that they had struggles? I, I guess the way I would explain it is in my head, it was all stereotypes. So okay. you felt like they might have come from a broken family, 
But that doesn't necessarily, because I just gave you a great example. Like this kid looked like he came from a broken family, but I knew him very well and knew that he did not. He just had fallen into that group of people that I would associate with coming from a broken family. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's all relevant, man. I think uh, the theme of desperation and, and just the, the brokenness that 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 uh, kids possess that nobody knows about. And I think it's even more prevalent this day and age, right? Like we're in a we're in a time where you have the biggest generation of kids that are, you know, they deal with anxiety and they have to some of them have to be on antidepressants. And that wasn't a thing when I was growing up. You know, yeah. that, that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, no, you know, you just got kicked in your ass and was told, Hey, go work it out. You know? <laughs> so yeah, man. But, but that is, that's not to, that's not to belittle what's going on now. It just, it just shows that people are aware, you know, and, um, I don't like to say they're woke. Right. But I, I think people are aware now about certain things. Um, I was there as do, do some people throw a hundred on 10, so to speak, you know, do they, do they embellish? Sure. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, that's a hundred percent, but, but I do believe that there's real, there's real issues that, that are fixed and real trauma that is addressed when it's openly talked about, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be able to do that. Cause it's not comfortable. Um, it, it's awkward. It's and you know, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable like that, but you know, everything I read, everything I listen to, it it just always talks about the only way to grow is to be uncomfortable. And so my journey as a man is to try to get out of my comfort zone and, and hopefully inspire others to get out of the comfort zone so we can all learn from each other. We can learn from our own mistakes. We can learn from our own transgressions and we can do it in a, in a, in a place like this where we ain't got to judge each other, you know? Um, that's the easiest thing to do is to judge. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that a hundred times out of a hundred, man. And it takes me a minute to step back and to humble myself and to remember, listen, man, everybody's got their own struggles, you know, just because their struggles aren't your struggles. It doesn't mean that they're not struggles in general, you know, and, and that, that applies to me and you, man, we're two entirely different people from two entirely different worlds. But I like to think I can call you my friend and and we have came down two entirely different paths. But during both of those paths, I'm sure you had struggles, you know, oh, yeah. as as minute or as big as they were, they were struggles. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's what bonds us as as people, as humans, is we have the ability to persevere through those kind of things. And so, yeah, man, I I, I, uh, I really think it's important to to kind of just do this every now and then to have a reflection about, um, you know, kids and, 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 uh, and the situations that, that they're in and, and more importantly, try to try to bring to light the mentality that they have. You know, I, I can't, I can't put myself in the 15 year old mindset anymore, but I can remember how I was thinking at that time, you know, or, or I can, I can kind of, kind of think how I was thinking at that time. You know, I can't, I can't be a hundred percent, but, but I can remember the feelings and, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, man, I, I, uh, I think this was really, really productive. And, and I think, I think one of the things you said is probably one of the most important points that I think this podcast is trying to, to portray is that we're taking a dramatic, like a, a gang member is a dramat is a drastic thing, but and that everybody has an opinion on. And I think everybody, if there is one thing anybody can take from this podcast, is to stop and reflect and realize that every time you disagree with somebody, no matter how big or how small it is, you're not right, and that person's not right. It's different perspectives, right? right. And uh, just like you were, you were not, you were not a bad person back then. But your perspective caused you to do bad things and may have caused you to do things I would have never done or somebody else may have never done. But it was just the perspective of your life at the time. It wasn't that you were a bad person. It was just you were seeing things differently. And whether it was right or wrong, it was a different view. 
And I think everybody could get a lot from just stopping and realizing that even when you don't agree with your mother about something, just stop and try to see it the way that other person is seeing it, whoever it may be. Right. For sure, man. And, um, so, and, and listen, and, and to end on a good note, right. You know, I, I don't believe this is a pity party for, for me or for anybody that, that is in the same realm of, of, uh, of, of what we're talking about, because there are success stories, man, that, that make it out of those situations. There are, you know, people who persevered through their dysfunction and, and become and made things of their lives. And, and I don't think, I think that's more of a testament to who they are as a person opposed to who we are not. And I'll give you an example, man. One of my childhood friends, we were just talking about it last week, how I kind of separated myself from, from my childhood friends. And one of my childhood friends, man, this was like my best friend. And I'll even say his name. His name was Epi. And he was like one of my best friends and he's still a friend to this day. You know, he came from not a great home, just like me. You know, he's got his own testimony, so I won't share it. But he came from not a great home, just like me. And and yet he never chose to become a gang member. He never chose to do the things that I did. He grew up. He ended up getting in the church. And, you know, he works at a bank now. He's got a great family. You know, he's married. And and by all measures, he's successful, you know. Um, so there are those people that do, do right, you know, and they do persevere. So I'm not here saying everybody that comes from the slums, they just end up being dirtbags and we got to figure it out. No, I'm not saying it. I'm just, I'm just trying to give, I'm peeling the curtain back, man. I'm shedding light on, on, on a different, a different aspect, but no, I do believe that them people deserve more credit, you know, to be able to avoid the nonsense, you know? And, um, yeah, so I just thought I'd end on that, man. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. They deserve all the credit in the world, but everybody else also deserves a pass because it could have been one simple thing in Epi's life that turned him away from that from that life. And and had that one thing happened to you, maybe you would have never gotten involved in anything you did. But that one thing didn't happen to you, right? You know, and it could have been it could have been one thing that turned him towards the life. You know exactly. I mean? And that one yeah. thing could have been me. Right. So yeah, definitely. I, I, definitely and who said, like, like you said, you broke away from all your friends and had you not done that, could you have been that catalyst that would have pushed him to that life? So, right. you know, I mean, it goes, I, I mean, in a way you could, you could have been the sacrifice that saved him. You know, you don't know. Yeah. We don't know because we can't rewind time and change things to see how everything would play out. Yeah. And you know what? There's actually, there's a twist of irony that, you know, cause I know his whole family. I, I, you know, you know, like I said, he was my best friend growing up and, you know, two of his, two of his sisters ended up having kids by guys who were Latin Kings, you know? So it's like, it's, it's all there, you know, it's all mm-hmm. relative, man. And so for him to overcome not just me, but that and that and that and that, you know, that's, that's a credit to him, man. And um, yeah. I respect him. I respect him as a man for that. Um, and I respect, you know, obviously the people, the other people, I'm just using him as an example, but I know there's a lot of those stories, you know, within our communities. It's just and, unfortunate that there's, there's, there's more from the other route, you know? And, and to add to that, I would love to have somebody that fell that way come on to this show and tell us the story of that because I would like to see if somebody like somebody with that kind of story could could pinpoint because there must have been a point in his life where he decided that wasn't what he wanted and I would love to hear what that point was what the thing that happened that made him turn away from that because I think that would be very fascinating to know well, maybe I could line something up for you, man. I might know some people. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and, and and while we're in the uh, while we're in this discussion, I might as well break some news. Um, so we are going to be fortunate enough to be blessed with a guest on our next yes. episode. Oh, it's um, going to be the next episode, huh? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, for all our viewers and and uh, well, listeners, I guess is the the better term. 
uh, we have a guy, um, his name is, they, they just call him JC, you know, his name is Julio, but he's, he's really, really prominent on, he's a YouTuber. Um, and, and basically he has a, um, his, his mantra is wrong to strong. Um, and he's been through a lot more than I have. Uh, he's been through, uh, for a lot longer time. And he, uh, you know, he was a former Latin King. He ended up working for the cartel and, and now he's a, he's a fitness trainer and, and he's a, more importantly, he's a, he's a Christian and, and, um, and a follower of Christ, but, but he's a, he's a changed man and, and he's doing good with his story. I reached out to him and I, and I, and I'm in pretty consistent communication with him. He's a great man. And, uh, he agreed to come on here and, and kind of give us a piece of his story. And, um, I, I think it's going to be a treat to be honest with you, man. I, I've listened to a lot of his, his, uh, you know, what he's done for his own work and, and his story is, is intriguing and, and trust me, man, it's going to be well worth it. I look forward to that. All right. So, um, do you got anything else you want to add or are we kind of wrapping up here? Yeah, I think we're good, man. I think, I think we'll leave him with that, that, uh, right on the edge of her seat right there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't unsubscribe because before that episode drops. So now was not the so, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And Berto, well, you already kind of dropped the uh the next episode. So Yeah, I dropped it. I dropped it, man. I dropped it. And 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 to uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get with you on how to, you know, leave a link or, or whatever it is, but I do plan on, on making an appearance on his show as well. So, uh, um, we'll keep, we'll keep everybody posted on that. That sounds perfect. Then we will wrap this up episode up and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to normalized crime. Stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>